From daunting giants to devious kings, David faced many formidable enemies in his lifetime, but none more powerful than the enemy of discouragement. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals a five-step strategy for gaining victory over discouragement, taken from David's own words in Psalm 142. To introduce the conclusion of Praying Under Pressure, here's David. Friends, I have been talking to you about my interaction with these psalms, and um, I honestly want to tell you that the psalms have really gotten me through a lot of difficult times. I have never been depressed that I'm aware of. I've been close. I've been very, very discouraged. When I am discouraged, I go to the psalms. The psalms always lift up my heart. They help me see life in perspective, and they help me realize that King David— a man after God's own heart, one of the most famous God followers in history, went through many of the same things that I have experienced. But he gained victory, and his strategy for victory is always so apparent in the Psalms, and I'm always so blessed because I'm able to go there. I'm sharing them with you because I want you to be blessed as well. Today we're going to study Psalm 142. This is part two of Praying Under Pressure. We are going to be in Charleston, South Carolina, October the 6th and 7th. There I'll be presenting messages about the rapture from my new book and teaching series, The Great Disappearance. I will be there with hundreds of people, many of whom have already made their reservation. And uh, this will be also streamed all over uh, the country and around the world. And people will be watching this everywhere. Two incredible days of Bible teaching, worship, special guests that will motivate you to live for Jesus as never before. If you want more information, go to davidjeremiah.org to find out information about tickets and special guests and all the rest. Once again, those dates are October 6th and 7th. That's the week our new book comes out called The Great Disappearance. Here is part two of Praying Under Pressure. Problems have a tendency to isolate us. Do you know that? I don't know how the rest of you men deal with the issues of life and the problems that you face, but I'm one of those male creatures who has a tendency to turn inward when problems come, to get quiet, to just kind of bury it all down in here, not want to talk to anyone. We build a shell around ourselves thinking we're the only ones with the difficulties, and the more we think about it, the more certain we are that no one else understands. I think about times I wished I could go and talk with another pastor and tell them about some of the things I was struggling with, but I would think about doing it, and then I would think, well, what will they think? I'm supposed to know how to do these things, or what will they say? And so you just keep it all inside. Alexander McLaren, one of the great writers about Scripture, describes it this way. He says, the soul that has to wade through deep waters usually has to do it alone. We have companions in joy, but... In sorrow, we have to face things by ourselves. And Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote these famous lines, which you have heard before. Laugh and the world laughs with you, but weep and you weep alone. There's something about problems that drive us into a feeling of being deserted. Now, we usually are not. It's usually what we think. We're like Elijah, who thought he was the only prophet left who believed in God. And God had to remind him that there were just a few more than the one he thought was there. 
But David felt deserted. And then notice in verse 6, he feels depressed. He uses an expression in his prayer. He says, I am brought very low. I know that this is a touchy subject among some Christians, that a Christian could ever be depressed. I've actually heard preachers preach that if you're depressed, you can't be a Christian because Christians don't get depressed. But I don't know what they do with the word of God because as I read the scripture, I read about uh, Elijah who was depressed, Jonah who was depressed, and Moses who faced depression. And here we have King David, a man after God's own heart, in depression. And the word that he uses for depression is the word for indentation. He equates this word with his soul. He says, I've got an indentation in my soul. I'm, I'm depressed. I don't know if you've ever talked with depressed people, but as a pastor on occasion, I've had a chance to counsel with people going through depression. And I know what a heavy burden it is to feel that low in your spirit. I've known people who have ended their lives because as they looked out into the future, they have been so filled with despair that life did not seem worth living anymore. David was depressed like that. All of his hope and joy were gone. His thoughts had turned inward. King Saul's harassment was no longer the problem. It was David's own heart that had become the problem. He had allowed what had happened to him in his circumstances to drive him inward and not to sense the presence of God in his life. I remember telling you when I began this series on the Psalms about the depression that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great London preacher, used to face. I was reminded that uh, when I was in seminary, I was given the two little copies of his books, the lectures to my students. And I looked at those recently and I remembered that there was a chapter in his lectures to his students and the title of the chapter was The Minister's Fainting Fits. I remember when I got those books, that was the first chapter I read because I couldn't imagine what would be in that chapter. But in the chapter, Charles Spurgeon says this, fits of depression come over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron, but surely they must worry about rust on occasion. See if you can think of who might have said this, a famous American leader. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. You may be surprised to know that those were the words of Abraham Lincoln, the great president of the United States. So don't tell me that people don't have depression if they're Christians or if they're people in positions of leadership. Sometimes the greater the expectation and the greater the responsibility, the greater the tendency to be depressed. He felt depressed and then he felt defeated. Notice verse six. He cries out in his prayer, Lord, deliver me from my persecutors for they are stronger than I am. <laughs> now I want you to notice what he did. David sat down in his depression and he got a yellow tablet out and he started to put things in columns. And he put all the things that were going for him on this column and all the things that were against him on this column. And when he got done, he could hardly think of anything in the good column and the other column was full right down to the bottom of the page. And he totaled it all up and he said, it's over, man, I'm finished. 
Those who are against me are greater than those who are for me. There's no hope. I'm dead. You see, when you get into depression, your ability to reason gets fuzzy and foggy and you begin to see everything through a dark lens and you can't see life as it really is. And that's where David was. He'd already consigned himself to defeat in so many words. In fact, he goes on to say in verse seven that he is like in prison, that he is incarcerated by his troubles and there is no way he can get out. And he comes to this very low point in his life. But thank God he doesn't stay there. For as we have looked at the description of his discouragement, we can go back through the same psalm and see how discouragement was defeated in his life. For he went through this pattern that all of us can follow if when we get into the cave of discouragement, we will just listen with our inner ear to the word of God. Notice, first of all, he began to verbalize his problems to God. So many people say, well, I shouldn't be telling God all my problems. God already knows my problems. Before I ever ask, he knows. So why should I be telling God my problems? Well, you know what? I don't know the theological answer to that question, but I know the biblical answer. You should do it because God tells you to do it. And if that's not enough reason, I can't help you. But there are more reasons than just being obedient. If you'll look in the first verse, David uses very clear language. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. (laughs) With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. In verse five, he says, I cried to you, O Lord. And in verse six, attend to my cry. David tells God how he is feeling. He describes what is going on inside of him. When we speak our minds fully and we name the problems and the people that plague us, it is like revealing a secret to our best friend and God is there and he cares about us and we can tell him anything and we ought to tell him what's going on in our life. That's the beginning place. Well, you say, Pastor, I'm not gonna bother God with, you know, God's busy. He's got a whole world to run and he doesn't care about my little problems. You keep thinking like that and you're just gonna keep going deeper and deeper into the fit of depression in your life. God has said we're to cast all of our care upon him. We're to bring him our burdens and we're to tell the Lord what is in our heart. And when we refuse to do that, we short circuit the healing process that he wants to bring about within us. I was traveling somewhere and I picked up the American Way flight magazine. Now I've got to tell you, there's not much redemptive in flight magazines. Every time I pick up one, I discover they have replaced one more page of text with pages of advertisements. Have you noticed that? It's like going to a shopping mall on the airplane. But tucked in between all of the ads in this particular issue was a little article that caught my attention because it had in the title of it the word journaling. And I've been collecting stuff on that subject because this is a process that has meant so much to me in in the more recent days of my life. And I began to read this written by some secular guru who's into business and, and this is what he said. Now listen to this. Battling illness and pain with pen and paper may be unorthodox but it may also spell relief. 
People who write for 20 minutes a day about the traumatic events reduce their doctor's visits, improve their immune systems, and among arthritis sufferers, use less medication and have greater mobility. These are the words of James Pennebaker, PhD and professor at the University of Texas at Austin, who has conducted numerous studies on the topic. Why is there such relief? Suppressing negative emotions can weaken the immune system and arouse your fight or flight system, he wrote. Churning up blood pressure and heart rate. Writing about conflict or trauma helps organize the experience. And the net effect is that people can move beyond the stressful event. He quotes another PhD by the name of Mark Lumley, an associate professor of psychology at Wayne State University in Detroit. He reasons that the positive results of journaling has something to do with the nature of pain. I wrote down these words. He said, writing about stressful events relieves the emotional part of pain. That's when the patient says, I can still feel it, but it doesn't bother me as much, end of quote. Now, listen carefully. I don't buy a lot that psychologists say. I don't read psychologists to prepare for my messages, and I'm not into psychotherapy in that sense of the word. We've got some fine Christian counselors that we work with here in this ministry, but I have affinity with them because they counsel from the Bible. But every once in a while, one of these guys will say something worth listening to. And what he said is interesting, especially in light of the word of God. What he said was, it's important to express the issues of your life. And if that's true, just from the human psychological aspect, what in the world happens when you express those things to the creator God, the almighty one of the universe? You put God in that equation and it elevates the effectiveness way beyond anything a psychologist can track. Aren't you glad that you have the kind of God that when you're in the cave, under the pressure, in the midst of all kinds of problems, you can lift your voice up to him and say, Lord, this is a lousy day and I don't know what's going on. And then begin to tell him the problems. I'm not talking about whining or having your own pity party. I'm just saying being honest in your prayer to God about the problems in your life. When you do that, God begins the process of recovery. Notice the second thing David did. He not only verbalized his problems before God, but be careful. Now I'm not getting psychological on you. He visualized his problems before God. Notice what he says in this very same context. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Now here's what David is saying. When he gets his problem all sorted out, he takes it and He kind of, like on a scroll, he unrolls it in the presence of God and he says, God, here's my problem. Now you see what happens a lot of times, we get into this issue where we pray, but God doesn't get into the equation. If you don't lift God up in worship and praise and make him a part of the entry part of your prayer, when you get to these praying your problems to God, all you're doing is rehearsing your own misery. And as I've told you before, there's a way to pray where you feel worse when you're done than before you started. But when you enter into his presence with praise and when you open up your heart to God and see who God really is and begin to pray to the one who is the creator of the universe, all of a sudden your prayer gets into the perspective of almighty God. And I love the way David says it. He pours out his prayer before God. One of the reasons you find praise in almost every one of the Psalms of encouragement is because just from the human thinking process now, When you praise God, God gets into the equation of your prayer. 
And until you praise God, you can pray as if God were watching you instead of as if he were the one to whom you were praying. And then notice thirdly, as he climbs up out of this time of despondency, he recognizes his presence before God. Notice verse 3. This is an incredible verse. He says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. (laughs) David is beginning to realize that it's one thing to verbalize your problems before God. He's done that. He's shown God everything that's going on in his mind and in his heart and in his emotions. But now what he begins to realize is that all the time he was doing this, God was involved already. And that when he was walking through this time of discouragement and overwhelmed with the problems of his life, even then God knew him. Even when David didn't know or think about the presence of God in his situation, even then God was there. And one of my favorite remembrances of Kenny Poor is something he told me that his granddaughter said. One day when he's asking his little granddaughter, what can you tell me that you learned in Sunday school about God? And she said, what I learned about God is that God never says oops. And you know what? That's a profound theological truth, is it not? God didn't look down and say, oh my, David's in the cave. David's in depression. David's going through a difficult time. David said he finally recognized that when all of this stuff was going on, at that very moment, God knew. And that's a a wonderful revelation to all of us when we're going through difficulty because troubles can sometimes cloud our vision. Problems can keep us from seeing God in the picture. And it's not until we begin to realize that God is in the midst of all of this that we can begin to see the healing process take place in the presence of God. He realized his provision in God. Notice verse 5. He said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living As David reviews his situation, he has told God all that there was in his heart. He has shown God all that there was in his heart. He has remembered that the one to whom he is praying is the Almighty One, the Creator of heaven and earth. And now he begins to rejoice in the provision that God has made for him. He said, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. I remember what an old preacher once said about this verse. He said, there's no living in the land of the living, like living on the living God. And he was right. The land of the living is not a reference to eternity or heaven. It's a reference to the land of living right now. How many of you are glad that the Bible has been written for people who live in the land of the living? It's not just about pie in the sky by and by. It's not just about in the sweet by and by and the pearly gates. The Bible is written to help those of us who live in the land of the living. When we get up every day and go to work and face our challenges, David learned to trust in the God who was his portion in the land of the living. And then finally, in this outline of what he did, he verbalized his problems to God. He visualized his problems before God. He recognized his presence before God. He realized his provision in God. And finally, he resumes his praise to God. In verse 7, he says, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me for you shall deal bountifully with me. Now I want you to once again look at your Bibles and notice in verse 1 of Psalm 142 we read, I cry out to the Lord with my voice, with my voice to the Lord I make my supplication and pour out my complaint before him. 
In verse 7, he says, For you shall deal bountifully with me. David has gone all the way through the cycle, and now he's back up, ready to praise God again. That's what happens when you pray. Do you know you can pray your way through pressure? You can pray your way through sickness. You can pray your way through difficulty. You can pray your way through problems if you're honest in your prayer. If you don't get spiritual in the sense of using Christianese and all of this, but you just honestly unload your soul on God, he will meet the need in your life. David started out in depression and he ended up in praise. I like to think that when David finished writing Psalm 142, he turned the page of his journal over for one more entry. And I want you to turn the pages of your journal over to Psalm 57. This is also, as you will notice, a psalm that was written in the cave. In fact, it says, a miktam, which is a word which means a teaching psalm, a teaching psalm of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. And most people believe this was written at the same time or in the same setting as the psalm which we have just studied. But this is more of a song. In fact, it's like a lot of our hymns. There are two verses and one chorus. The two verses play out, and after each verse, they sing the chorus. Now, I want you to follow along in your Bibles as I read this, and you will see what I'm talking about. The first verse begins at verse 1 and goes through verse 4, the first verse of the hymn. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He who reproaches the one who would swallow me up, Selah, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Now here's the chorus. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And then he starts to sing verse 2. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory, awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Here's the chorus again. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now in my sanctified imagination, when David finished with his prayer of Psalm 142, he began to sing the words of Psalm 57. Now remember, he's in this huge cave. So he didn't have to sing real loud for everybody to hear him. Be exalted, O Lord, above the heavens. And all of a sudden he heard another raspy voice coming from another part of the cave and one of those 400 rugged men began to sing along with him. And then someone over here joined in and before he could look around, in my mind's eye, I see all of these discontented debtors and distressed men standing to their feet. And in this sound chamber, they're singing praise to God. Be exalted, O Lord, among the heavens. From the pit of discouragement, 
to the glorious pinnacle of praise to Almighty God. Can that happen in your life and mine? You know it can. When we come to God with our problems and we honestly acknowledge who He is, what's going on with us, we can begin to sing. Well, I hope the psalm has meant as much to you as it has to me. It's the one you don't want to forget. Put a little ribbon in that psalm. You will come to it often, and it will always be there to bless and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about Psalm 107, and the title of the message tomorrow is When You Are at Your Wits End. And you may wonder where that phrase came from. Well, you'll be surprised. It's a biblical phrase, when you're at your wit's end. And we'll talk about what to do when that happens. It's Psalm 107. You can read it ahead of time. Hey, our book for the month of August, our resource is the book uh, Sleep on This, a collection of 100 readings for you to read at night before you go to sleep. It's accompanied with um, beautiful artwork. And across the page from every reading is a QR code that enables you to get somebody to read it for you if you want to. It's great. Help you sleep good. Ask for it when you send your gift this month. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If your faith is growing through this ministry, we'd love to hear from you. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada. P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand on any screen with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying good night to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep on This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong.
Sometimes we think it's inappropriate to plead with people concerning Christ or try to persuade them to believe. But the Apostle Paul did both many times. The famous American journalist Edward R. Murrow defined the qualifications for being persuasive. He said, to be persuasive, we must be believable. To be believable, we must be credible. To be credible, we must be truthful. The Apostle Paul was all three, believable, credible, and truthful. And maybe that's why God used him to win so many souls for Christ, and why we can expect him to use us if we live the same kind of life Paul lived. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover who God uses and why on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.